Okay, well, welcome. I think this is our sixth session together. Um, and so we're going to begin uh, where we left off. We left off uh, after verse, or at the end of verse 12. Uh, we read chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 last time. We looked at, of course, the wedding in Cana. Uh, we looked at the first miracle of Christ, of course, famously water turning into wine. We'll recap a couple things about <coughs> regarding that section of the text, and then we'll continue on, okay? Um, let me pray for us. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, this evening, where we can join together to read your word and study. Would you be with us in our, uh, under, in our reading of the text and then our dialogue um, as we discuss the contents of the material we will read today? Thank you for the gift of your son and your word. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so uh, let's do a quick recap. I know it's been two weeks since we talked about the wedding canna. Some of us were here, some of us were not. What do we remember for those who were here? There was a wedding. There's a wedding. The water. The water. What about it? The water turned into wine. Dirty water. More feet washing water right purification yep. jars right so these are water this is water used for purification uh and we talked about how a lot of these things have functions that connect to some of the symbolism of the text itself hello hello Hi. okay Why so <laughs> what else did we talk about in the wedding canon the, the theme of wine and wine symbolizes what was it no. symbolizes <laughs> oh! No, it was something. Wait, oh no. Oh, I remember. There's Wait. one word. Yes. Um, it's not cool. It is something very like. Yeah, it was like big. Yes. It was like. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wine in the Old Testament symbolizes God's blessing oh, upon his people. <laughs> right? His joy and blessing. It's celebratory. It's used, right? In celebration because of that. It makes sense that in a wedding you would have, you know, a celebration, and it makes sense that to kind of uh, highlight that you have uh, wine, right? And wine is kind of used to symbol that. So the wine running out is symbolic of God's blessing running out. Um, no longer can the old continue to function to serve the purposes of what they were initially cre- um, inst- installed for. And so here comes Christ, uh, language of the hour. Uh, the scene of a wedding, the groom failing to fulfill his role. And here comes Christ, and he's able to essentially do what? I mean, the miracle itself is miraculous, turning one element into another. That's not the focus of the text, is it, right? It's not, Jesus can turn water into wine, cool, right? Um, but that he is here to what? It's easier to save us, yes, the language of the hour, but then also, like, we talked about the language of, like, the Pauline language, where he talks about the old being gone, new has come, right? And so there's this, the time has run out for the old, and the time has now come for the new, right? Um, And that's really where we get so much of this image, right? And then, of course, uh, we ended off uh, in verse 12, after all of this, right, this, this sign... And of course, the the first miracle is the first of the seven signs of the Gospel of John, right? There's seven signs, seven I am statements. We've now observed the first of the 
miracles or the signs of John uh, or John's gospel. And of course, John, remember, what's the theme verse or thesis verse? Um, 20, 30 to 31. Yes, John 20, 30 to 31. For those who don't know, recap it. What does it say there? Um, that not all the blessings are shown, or not all of the miracles are shown in this book. It's only the ones that are there to help us believe. Right. So John, John made what? He actively chose. He made a decision to record seven miracles uh, for the purpose and function of uh, readers and listeners understanding Christ to be the Son of God. That they would come to believe in him and if so they would have eternal life right and so john's gospel is an evangelistic tool that he has purpose for that function and so there are in other words other miracles and other works of christ uh that are not recorded and you would you know we talked about this in the first chapter you would think if you under like if you were recording gospel like a gospel that's recording the works of christ and the ministry of christ you just go ahead and record everything. But John purposed his gospel. He chose seven out of the probably numerous, right? So each time one of those seven comes out, we'll talk about it. Each time one of the seven I am statements come out. The I am statements are more obvious. Well, actually, they're both obvious. But the I am statements are really obvious because why? Jesus literally says, ego, me, I am, right? So um, we'll get there. So after all of this, in verse 11, it says, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Can of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, this believed in him does not mean to serve the purpose of what? We know this in hindsight that the disciples continuously fail in what? Jesus always questions what? Their faith. faith right? So we know that this, this believed in him is not to indicate that after this wedding scene where water is turned into wine that all of a sudden they understand oh this is the son of god christ this is messiah and they're like fully putting their life in him and like everything is like their faith is fully realized right believed in him is an indicator of this uh continual maturation growth in their faith step by step um there is faith but is it saving faith or not that's actually a huge debate in the gospel of john one of the things we have uh, trouble and I think on purpose uh, we have trouble uh, pinpointing is when were the disciples actually saved mm-hmm. at what point did they like become like did it become saving faith right that's actually a question mark right mm-hmm. Peter it's a little bit more maybe like obvious like perhaps like after the crucifixion when and the resurrection Christ comes and says do you love me do you love me do you love me like maybe that moment kind of marks his sort of saving faith moment but you know, like typically when we ask like, oh, like Corey, like how are you saved? And there's like this whole narrative or this moment where some people, for many people, it's, I don't really know. It just kind of gradually came to be, right? That's my story anyway. I don't have like a moment where like, I don't have a Paul moment where like a light shines and I see Jesus or hear his voice or anything. I don't have any of that. I just like, it just gradually, like faith just gradually grew in my heart and it became a reality. Like if you ask me, when did I start believing gravity? I don't know. I just, I just did like, just... <laughs> gradually became a reality in my life right I, I never when did i believe that my parents were my parents like i don't know i just from birth i just grew into it right knowledge came to be so um after all this verse 12 he went down to capernaum he and his mother's brothers his disciples that's very important remember geographical markers time markers and details like of this sort are very important so who is he with who's christ with his mother his brothers, brothers and disciples. disciples stayed there for a few days okay where are they? They're going from Cana to Capernaum. Yes. Okay. So let's read. We're going to read verses 13 
uh, to the end of chapter two. Okay, I will start reading. Uh, we'll go in Arya's direction. We will read one verse each. It's pretty short. Okay, so I'll read thirteen. The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Verse 15. 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume The Jews and his father to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build the temple, and will you rise? Uh, will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about men for he himself knew what was in men amen Word of god okay so what are some immediate observations and thoughts on the text that we just read today Money changer is very, very self-explanatory. Just like changes money. money. Changer? Yes. <laughs> oh, I literally forgot. I was told you I was going to bring the diagram of the temple. It's okay. I'll Google it now. You guys think what's in the text? <laughs> Sorry, it's going to be on iPad. <laughs> Some immediate thoughts. Immediate thoughts, anyone? Some things that stand out, terminology, themes that you're noticing connecting ideas to things we read before or you know as we kind of see in the whole of john oh is it is it like destroy the temple in three days i'll raise it up is it like the same reference to him like coming from the dead yes it is actually very very good observation i mean i think the three days are the giveaway but uh for sure yes good good either <laughs> i don't know what i was trying to say <laughs> anyone else any things that stand out to you or i'm sure this is something you've heard of or read explicitly before what do you think about it what are your sort of like because john's writing this again like in gospel for a reason trying to indicate that christ is like jesus is the christ like 
like what like what do you think is he's trying to convey he's not just giving like uh, an account of an event right there's a purpose behind it so what do you think is is contained within uh, I noticed that there's a distinction between a physical temple and a bodily temple physical temple and a bodily temple can you expand on that well I mean in uh in verse 21, Jesus was referring to the temple as a body. Mm -hmm. And then, I forgot where, in, somewhere in the New Testament, it's also referenced where the, the body is the dwelling of the Spirit of God. What? We just did that, man. First Corinthians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you literally quoted it in your Insta story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's correct, right? Somewhere in the New Testament. You're right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just, just leave it there. Good, good. Excellent point. That's really important, actually. Very, very good point. Anyone else? Okay, I think this one's good. The disciples remember something from the Old Testament. Expand on that. Um, I know that they like realize a lot of things after Jesus dies, and like they remember like what the prophet says. And like how that was fulfilled in Jesus' death and mm -hmm. resurrection, but mm -hmm. then like um, I'm noticing here that they actually remember something, mm -hmm. although I'm not sure like what it means entirely. Hmm. So you're uh, correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong. You're talking about verse twenty-two. Yeah. Right. No, wait. Verse seventeen. Oh, sorry. Verse seventeen. <laughs> His mm. disciples remember that it was written. For your house will consume me. Mm, yes. It's interesting, yes, that in John's gospel that he is including like commentary, mm. right? Like he's kind of like, recounting like things of the past, like when Jesus was incar like in incarnated form and he was on earth doing his ministry, but inserted within the narrative or the narration of the of the events. There is like a commentary, right? Things that like disciples realized post-ascension, post-resurrection. There are things that they're looking back and they're going, oh shoot, like in the moment we didn't get it, but these are things we realize after, right? That it was written this way and it was that. Verse 22, very similar, right? So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. What did he say? It's verse 19. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They remembered those words. So you can imagine, as Paul mentioned, he resurrects in three days. Paul, Paul and his disciples were thinking the same thing. Oh, wait, shoot. These are like connecting things. Like he said he was going to raise up. And then, so the temple wasn't really like the temple. It's like his body, right? Um, and that's verse 21. But he was speaking of the, of the temple of his body, not the actual temple, right? Um, and so they started connecting scripture to the life and ministry and accomplished works of Christ, which is like, very reassuring for us right that we can look to the old testament and have solace in that the contents of the 39 books of the old testament are pointing to christ right so that's very reassuring good point anything else wait the crucifixion wasn't literally three days after this right or is it, is it just saying like once sorry the crucifixion is the beginning of the three days right so his death and then three days later he rises but it wasn't like jesus didn't from here does he did not, he did not die here no yeah, he, he did not die here he this is a prediction right he's going destroy this temple in three days i will raise it up 
right? So they're also, thinking, yeah. So property. they're thinking, the, the listeners, at the moment are probably like he's. They're thinking the temple, like the actual temple, right? But Jesus was talking about the temple of his body, and this is something the disciples realize later. Because they're like, oh, well, no, the temple actually doesn't get destroyed at the crucifixion moment. Right. It's actually his body that is destroyed in the mm. crucifixion, and it's raised in three days. Is and when the temple is destroyed later in 70 AD, it definitely does not get rebuilt. <laughs> it's still not rebuilt. <laughs> Sorry. Is, is verse 17 like in the moment, or is that after two? Verse 17. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Good question. What do you think? It looks like it's in the moment. It looks like it's in the moment. Um, I think it could be. It's likely John's commentary post, but it could be in the moment as well, for sure. That they are remembering what's written in scripture. Um, and it's just like an, like an added thought. Um, I don't know if anyone raised their hands and was like, hey, you know, it was written, zeal for your house. <laughs> <laughs> right? So what exactly does that mean? I checked Google it, but it just probably Psalm 699. Yes. Is that where it's quoted? It says, in Psalm 699, it says, for zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Yes. Uh, we'll get there. That's a very important question. Uh, what that means and how it connects to the events that are happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm very, I'm very intrigued. No one's mentioning the actual also, issue of the problem. Like, the, what's the problem at hand here? Sorry, what was you gonna say? I was People also sorry. No, go ahead. No, um, this is not related. It's okay. Um, Corey, Corey's got it, got it locked down. He's okay. ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> is this like the first time in John when Jesus is talking about his death or predicting mm. his death? Mm, very interesting. Like Jesus himself. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only two chapters. <laughs> John spoke about like him being the Lamb of God, right? Which, like, um, shows like the sacrifice. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. Jesus himself talking about his own death. Mm -hmm. I think it's the first time. Mm -hmm. I think it's the first like we could call maybe explicit time that he mentions it. But of course, in the wedding in Cana, what does he say? my time has not yet right come. his hour has not yet come mm -hmm. right so the hour language is a connective tissue across the gospel of john mm -hmm. um it's constantly his answer is constantly my hour has not yet come my hour has not yet come finally on the night of his arrest he says my hour has come mm -hmm. right and so we know the hour language mm -hmm. is clearly in reference to the moment of crucifixion mm -hmm. right um sorry what's the problem Corey, in the text uh Jews were selling animals at the temple. Jews were selling animals. What's so bad about that? Because technically they need animals for sacrifices. Right. It's kind of like selling, renting out bowling shoes at a bowling alley. Right. Um. <laughs> In a sense, you're filling a need, right? Mm. Well, I mean, Jesus was pretty pissed, right? Because it says, like, he overturned their tables. Yes. Right? He basically, like, flipped their tables over. Mm -hmm. um, I think because it, it, it turned into, like, this place that's supposed to be, like, I guess, like, holy or, like, highly regarded was suddenly turned into, like, a, like a market for uh, mm -hmm. personal gain. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he said here, uh, verse 16, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Mm. 
So what do you think was happening? What do you, what do you mean? Like, what do you think the issue was? Because if it's just strictly... Um, like, they were selling animals, mm-hmm. like oxen and sheep. I don't see how that in and of itself would be terrible, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'll give you the full context of what's going on mm-hmm. were soon. They, were they, like, the priests or yes. the Pharisees? And, yeah. like, the sellers, they were doing things under the table? Perhaps that's why the tables were flipped to reveal what was under it. <laughs> Perhaps Jesus was onto something there. He knew. He knew. Things are going under the table. Oh shoot! It's very smart. It's crazy. Um, this is a guess. Um, that's what we need right now. Is it because maybe like some of these like animals are, you know, typically used for like sacrificial acts, mm-hmm. and so, but instead of like rather using kind of like your own, they're kind of. Rather than using them for Christ, it's in using for monetary gain mm-hmm. between the people. And then, um, there's, sorry, there's one more thought, but I forgot. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't they make it so that the animals that people brought to sacrifice, they'd say, oh, this is not good, mm-hmm. and you have oh, to yes. buy from here? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. like, they would basically cheat them. And right. With the extra yes. money. Wait, when do we make. find out that they say that? Well, this is all extra yes. biblical historical information that oh. we get from historical texts as okay. to what was going on in the temple at the time of Herod's rule. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, okay. Because weren't we talking about this at the retreat where some, like, they were bringing, um, like, God, God was disappointed when people would bring, like, sick animals or anything because again, yes like, blemished animals yeah, blemished animals and yes. so where people maybe like marketing these ones is like better than they are sure i mean like when you go to like a sporting event or when you go to a concert what's always taxed on you the food <laughs> the food okay so this is being this is a huge taxation right mm-hmm. so what jesus if it was strictly the provision of the of necessary uh, sacrificial animals to those who are unable to bring proper sacrifices and just simply providing those things at the cost that they were supposed to be charging them I don't think there would be issue right like it's raining we need an umbrella here's an umbrella for its actual cost right I think that's that would have been fine what's happening is in ad- taking advantage of people mm-hmm. who were unable or foolish enough to be taxed on these things right Mm, right so historical texts reveal a couple things for us and this is where we'll just pause for a moment uh and be a little extra biblical so let me give you some extra biblical information in terms of the historical context of what we're dealing with here okay because i think john himself um is preaching to a jewish audience who probably understood some of the issues that were going on in the temple Mm. and the practices that were going on there so let's kind of assume that they had an understanding. And on our end, we have to rely on extra biblical text to figure out what was actually happening in the, in the temple. What is evident, though, with Jesus? Because you don't see many moments where Jesus, like, starts lashing out, right? Um, and expressing this kind of uh, animosity. Um, it's probably, like, almost unique in the ministry of Christ, right? Uh, but he's angered by something very important. And I think he's... And it, it connects heavily to 
uh, what we read in the wedding can. Okay. So, first of all, let me give you uh, a rundown of the temple history. Okay. <clears throat> so, the first temple was constructed by Solomon, David's son. We talked about the retreat, right? So David is too much blood on his hands. Solomon is the one who constructed it. So Solomon constructs a temple. It's called Solomon's Temple. It's the first temple of Jerusalem. It's on Mount Jerusalem. It's where today there's a giant mosque. But anyways, that's where the temple was built, right? And it's built in glory. It's beautiful. It's a monument. And it has an outer court and then an inner court that replicates a tab tabernacle. So if you remember in the Old Testament, there's a mobile moving tent, right? Uh, in which the Holy of Holies, and then there's like a, a, a court of sacrifice. There's all these like different facilities um, for the practice of um, giving offerings and sacrifices, right? So the priests would reside in the temple, take care of it. They would be the temple keepers and the gatekeepers. Um, but what, at what's, uh, what's the... What's the time marker we're given? Or what event is going on at the moment that Jesus is entering Jerusalem? Passover. Right. What is the Passover? Passover is celebrated even today, right, by Jews all over the world. But what is it? What does it remember and commemorate? What is this event? What is this day about? God um, save Jewish people. Uh huh. So Egypt, God saving Jewish people. Okay, yes, From that's slavery. the gist of it. Sorry. From slavery. From slavery. No. So that would be the Exodus. Does Google not commemorate. Google. <laughs> it does. It does lead right. The Passover leads to the Pharaoh finally saying, "You may leave oh, okay. Egypt, right? Take your people and go." But, uh, Literally. Yes. Those who yeah, the, the door. right, the name of the day itself tells you what happened, right? The passing over of the angel of death, um, to save households from losing their firstborn son, uh, as long as what? They have an ex. They have an ex? No. <laughs> what? No, like, like, blood of right. No. Blood of an innocent lamb has to be an innocent lamb that is killed and then eaten and consumed within the household um and they paint the blood of the lamb on the door frame right and the angel of death will pass by at night sees the blood passes by so death passes by as long as the blood of the lamb is upon the door like this Wait. is all jesus language this is all christological so is language an angel passing by and if there's no blood on the door then what do they do then it enters and kills the firstborn son of that household angel angel Why? of death right it's god's 10th plague uh, oh. on egypt and so pharaoh loses his son right so pharaoh loses his firstborn son and in his anguish he says take your people and go wait son why wouldn't people do that because if you're egyptian you're like screw your god and if you're jew you lack faith mm. or you don't care you're apathetic mm. right i mean i don't know why you would be apathetic after seeing nine like incredible okay. plagues but the stupidity of humanity is, right, quite powerful too. And then those mostly <laughs> who did do it were Jews, question mark? Sorry? The, the people who mostly did do it. Oh, 100%, of course. They were Jews. Yeah, of course. Okay. I mean, Moses commanded the Jews to, the Jews to do it, 
but he didn't go around making sure everyone painted the blood of the lamb on the door frame like mm-hmm. that was entrusted to you like the head of the household the male usually would be the one in charge of that um i don't know why you would risk that after seeing nine plagues but whatever go ahead you do you right and if you lose your son you lose your son that's your fault right Mm -hmm. but it wasn't based on what it wasn't based on are you an egyptian household or are you a jewish household right it wasn't distinguished on on those terms it was completely based on blood of the lamb Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. pointing everything right this is all connecting now right old testament stuff it's amazing the passover Ooh, and jesus now he's in capernaum and he's on the passover Ooh, ooh. right okay so on the passover what do they do to commemorate sorry you want to say something oh no finish, finish. Oh, go ahead go ahead oh no it's a stupid question um is is the angel of death an actual angel yes actual oh, angel so, so. entrusted with the task of death yeah because oh, uh, yeah i was just confused yeah, it's not an angel of death, as in like you see in like cartoons, like the Grim Reaper. Yeah, like, I was imagining. Yeah, yeah, I know everyone's thinking that there's some, like the the what are those things in Harry Potter? The mentors. The mentors are like from Azkaban, and they're like going around sucking sucking souls out of people. No, they're not. It's not. I can't imagine. It's like some kind of like. It's, way worse it's not a demon, though, right? It's a literal angel, that God. Um, gives right authority to go through sweep through egypt and perform this act is this the only angel that has authority over death uh it's not i don't imagine or i can't imagine that it is an actual angel that its entire creative existence is premised on its ability to like conjure death right i don't think there is a death angel right i don't think it's a specific death angel i think it's god's wrath being and justice uh, being exercised through an angel. Okay. Right? Did you say one breed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, so... <laughs> and it's certainly <laughs> not God, like, saying, hey, like, Satan, you evil angel, like, go around and kill you. people. I don't think that's what's going on either. It's God's <laughs> righteous judgment and exercise. Like, it's not like he didn't give them a heads up either. Right? It's like yeah. the flood. Like, he didn't, like, hey, bro, like, be righteous or else you'll be flooded. And it's not like the flood came tomorrow. They had 150 years to, to get become righteous, right? So they lived 150 years. Wait a minute. They lived hundreds of years. They lived so yeah. much he longer in the, the Old the, Testament. The, the life expectancy was crazy. What do you call it? Arcs. Like <laughs> 150 years. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old was he when he started building it? <laughs> we can't be certain. I don't think, but Noah? he had to have been pretty old. Noah was he like had because he had like he had like oh, a whole like family. But yeah. he moved well for his age. Well, I mean, back then we're talking like his grandfather, <laughs> Methuselah, is like, like two thousand, thousand something, right? <laughs> Lived to <a> thousand. <laughs> That's true. A thousand. Yeah. Thousand. Methuselah lived up to a thousand something Wait, years. Medusa? No, not Medusa. <laughs> that is a Greek goddess of Medusa. Oh God. Terrible. Don't look terrible. Okay. Sorry, what was your question? No, no, no. I thought there's like a part in the Bible where it just talks about a lot of people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so they Genesis. lived much longer pre-flood, even like post-flood for dur- duration. But then, no, yeah, obviously, like, life lifespan like, like decreases yeah. along with like dietary things, cl- climate change. I don't mean like the modern climate change, but like you know how people get like really old now. They they look like they're dying. Like, yeah. they look like death. Do you think yeah. they looked even like? Like, like if they lived like hundreds and thousands of years, they we can't like be certain. Crazy. But I imagine we can't be certain. But I imagine that they don't look thirty when they're hundred. Like Abraham in his old age at a hundred does not have a child and is told will be, will be given a child, right? Like so you have to like, like consider like, 
Like bro. nowadays, a hundred-year-old lady having a child would be like suicide. <laughs> I don't even think you can because you're like, Ouch. like you can no longer produce <laughs> eggs, <laughs> right? That's what I. Like, we're kind of size dragging. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I find odd is that like they lived much more, but Sarah couldn't have children at like before a hundred. Right, but mm-hmm. Abraham is post flood where things have already vastly changed, right? I mean, I imagine, this is just my imagination, but a global flood would change Earth a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what a global flood would look like from space. Uh, it would look you blue. Just won't see it would green. look very blue. You just won't see green. Yeah. <laughs> or you might just see yeah. clouds. It would just be an entire like cloud yeah, thing, right? so interesting. But yeah, Noah's flood, very uh, interesting story. But, but yeah. um, like, yeah, like, so there is warning here, yeah. right, of the angel's death, etc. Anyways, the Passover marks this. And so in order to remember this, there's two things that they consume. If you've ever been to a Passover Seder, I had a lot of Jewish friends growing up. I went to high school with Drake, who's also half Jewish. But anyways, I've <laughs> um, been to a lot of bar mitzvahs, you know what I'm saying? Um, but at Passover Seder, they eat a Passover lamb, right, as a standard meal. And... Uh, just like at Jesus's uh, Last Supper, they break bread. But the bread is an unleavened bread. In other words, there's no uh, leaven in the bread. It doesn't rise. There's no yeast, right? And so it's like crackers. If you've ever had like, uh, it's called matzah. Uh, it's just like a cracker bread, right? Oh, I think I have. Yeah. And so that, that bread, which is essentially a cracker, is consumed to remember God's grace and mercy uh, upon Israel that night and leading to their exodus so leading to their salvation if you will from slavery right so all of these like the language of the passover just continues to point to christ uh when we get if we do get to the actual crucifixion moment you'll notice the culmination of that but all of those things point to christ right the blood of the lamb passover lamb angel of death mercy grace salvation all of these themes are just just completely contained within the passover right so what did the jews do when the temple was constructed the temple was constructed primarily one of the primary reasons uh, to centralize the worship of israel and so although israel would be spread out at this point there'd be like galilee galilean jews there would be these jews that lived on mount jerusalem the elites if you will and then a whole bunch of other diaspora jews right when the passover comes they all go to Jerusalem. They don't do this now because the temple doesn't exist. But uh, at Jesus' time, uh, the temple was destroyed. Remember? Um, it was destroyed when they were conquered by the Babylonians and the Medo-Persian Empire. And then once it's destroyed, it only gets rebuilt after the Persian king Xerxes, uh, I think Darius, I think, allows, right? If you remember the story of Haggai, Nehemiah, and Ezra, they're allowed to go and reconstruct the temple. Is this the temple that Solomon built? That Solomon built. So Solomon's temple is destroyed. It's called the first temple of Jerusalem. The second temple is reconstructed by Nehemiah during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, the prophet. Uh, it's reconstructed. And that's what we read, right? In Malachi 1, where their worship is blemished. They have this temple, but they're like basically like defaming it by like doing all this crappy worship, right? And then we get to the time of Christ. And this is called, remember we called it Second Temple Judaism. And some of the things that had grown and as customary in the society and in the faith. And during Second Temple Judaism, Herod, it was called Herod's Temple. Who's Herod? 
he's a pseudo king. He's not actually king of Israel. He's a self-proclaimed king of Israel. He's actually just uh, an assigned governor over the people of Israel. Uh, he is a Jew, um, but the Roman Empire, who had conquered like all of Earth at this point, basically tells like the people like they let the Jews continue to be Jewish because the Jews were such a like like pestilent little like group of people, and they were just like, no, we have to be faithful to our God. Remember what I told you? Like that's why like the whole Pharisaic and Sadducees and all that stuff, like temple worship and saying you know all that stuff. They're like really reluctant to worship the Greek gods and the Roman gods. The Roman gods, by the way, are just renamed Greek gods. They're the same gods. So they are like, what the heck, right? Like, we're not going to worship these Greek gods. We're, we're not bowing that. Like, we believe in one true God, Yahweh. And so the Romans are like, oh, these people are so annoying. So they put Pontius Pilate, who's the provincial leader of this community, right? And Pontius Pilate is like kind of like really lazy in some senses. But anyways, he's scared of an uproar from the Jews because that will make him lose his job from the Romans. Romans could probably kill him because he's failed in his duties. So in order to quiet this crowd and keep them in order, he puts a king over them, basically a governor. And the governor is Herod. Herod calls himself the king of Israel because <laughs> essentially he has like kingly powers, right? Um, and he, in his kingship, redecorates the temple to make it glamorous. So he starts dealing with the priests He's like, I'll give you money. I'll give you some of the taxation that we get. Uh, I'll give. I'll make your temple beautiful. Uh, just keep all these people in order. Keep them in check. It's a good deal for priests, right? They get a golden, beautiful temple. Uh, it's a good deal for Herod because it makes him look good. It's good for Pontius Pilate because everything is peaceful. And on Rome's end, it's like good. The Jews just shut up and do their thing, and they leave us alone, right? They don't. They don't cause any ruckus. So that's the deal that's going on, right, at Herod's temple. Okay, Herod's temple, like the gates of Seoul, Korea, has four gates, northeast, southwest. It's not really complicated, okay? One of them is called the Sheep Gate. But anyways, um, <laughs> so the gate is, this is the central court. This is where the Jews would come and they bring their offerings. So during, uh, during Passover, every Jewish household was required to bring sacrifice to the temple so that their sins could be atoned for, essentially, right? So the priests would bring it. If the sacrifice is accepted and it's properly, you know, killed and sacrificed by the priest uh, and accepted by the Lord, then their sins are, are cleansed, if you will, essentially, right? That, that's what they did. Um, it is said in historical documents that uh, at this time, there might have been something around mm, two and a half to three million Jews. So if you divide that by household, you're looking at at least, at least um, like one point something million households. One point something million sheep killed per household on this one dinky little temple mountain, right? The amount of blood that was being poured and there was actually like the sheep gate is literally where the sheep would enter and the blood there, they needed to create a sewage system in which the blood could flow out of the temple and then flow down the mountain. So you can imagine this, you can go to Mount Jerusalem wow. today, you can imagine the amount of blood that would pour down from this mountain, That's... right? To indicate what? God's judgment and wrath against sin and hatred of it, but also to recognize his grace and mercy in not killing you for your sin, right? Um, that was a sacrifice. So you can imagine Jesus is going to Jerusalem like every other faithful Jew, on the Passover to have this feast, but also to give their sacrifices. 
So that's what's on the backdrop of what is going on here in the temple is going on. So let me tell you, okay. You guys ever be you guys have ever been in charge of like a worship session? Like a worship leader or you organized a, an event on campus or something, anything like, like a gathering of believers or whatever. Imagine like one dude comes in, he just disrupts everything. How do you feel? It's frustrating. It's, frustrating. it's really annoying. What's the, what's the immediate thing you want to do with this person? Forgive. Yeah, you want to kick them out, okay? Forgive. Wow, that's very gracious. <laughs> hey, like, I know who to put in charge. So, they are, they are, so here comes Jesus, and he is whipping people and turning tables over. What do you think? Oh, is that why he does it? Well, think, well, let's think. Oh, wait, is that if happening you're, right now? That's happening right now. So this, this entire Passover sacrifice, most, like, at least second most important holiday on the Jewish calendar, right? And really, really religious time, right? And here comes, it's like Christmas service, and here comes some dude and he's ruining everything, right? Like, what's your immediate thought? Like, get rid of this guy. Like, what is this guy, right? Like, I hate this guy, right? <laughs> he's like ruining everything. Like, he's totally destroying everything. And we're getting rid of him. So, you can imagine the tension that's happening here. It's not just any time on the calendar that Jesus is choosing to do this. He's doing this on the Passover. Okay? When literally people are walking in, like, uh, some of the historical documents indicate that the priests, their robes would be drenched in the blood of lambs. Like, drenched. Like, knee-high. Like, they would just be walking in puddles of blood. Because they would just be killing lambs all day. Right? Um, and here are all these people coming to atone for their sin. It's really, really like like millions and millions of people walking in and, and, and giving their sacrifices. And amidst this, Jesus comes in and he sees the money changers and these men who are doing business in the temple court. Now, where are they doing the business? They're doing it, this dinky little outer part, right? Mm. Right over here. Dinky. It's called... The court of the Gentile colonnades. Okay, so what is this? Um, the Gentiles who believed in Yahweh, right? What is Yahweh? Yahweh is the, uh, what we call, like, the Tetragrammaton. It, it is the name given, uh, given to associate God, right, um, in the Old Testament. So when your Bible has capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, in the Old Testament... In the Hebrew, it is uh, the Hebrew characters Y-H-W-H, oh, right? Y-H-W-H. Well, that's the phonetic of it, but um, it's the Hebrew characters that are equivalent to those letters, mm-hmm. okay? And so we don't know vowels in the Old Testament because vowel system was created much later in modern Hebrew. In the biblical Hebrew, there's no vowels. It's assumed. And so we don't know exactly how the name is pronounced, but the guess is that it was Yahweh best best guess based on everything else mm-hmm. that we know. Um, it doesn't have any like you can still read it without vowels. It's not it doesn't change it. It's not like we're guessing what these words are. <laughs> we know the meanings without like having the vowels. But um, so the reason they did that very good question is you know how one of the commandments is uh, what is one of the commandments in, in regards to the Lord's name? Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Lord's name in vain. So you know how they protected themselves from doing that. They hid the name of God. So basically, they literally just said, we won't even teach people the name of God 
so that and that let's just let it be lost and forgotten so that no one can ever use his name in vain wait so is that with like good intentions but good intentions absolutely and i think if we knew the name of god i mean that'd be pretty problematic for a lot of us right? we have enough of oh my gods god damn it's like you know like jesus christ wait so still up until this day we have no idea what the jews actually knew in terms of the name of god we don't know he is the great Wait. eye. So they created a whole bunch of other names to indicate his attributes. Jehovah, Adonai, Jireh, like just a whole bunch of lists of God? names. God is the English term, right? To reference the higher high power. We refer to them more specifically as the Godhead. Or God of the Bible. Yeah. Jesus has a name, right? Yeshua. We, we know that for sure. Yeah. It's Joshua. The phonetic is Joshua. Yeah. So Joshua, son of Nun, is the same as Joshua, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's just the, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew. The Greek version of Joshua is Jesus. Yeah. All these things you're learning, right? It's crazy. It's crazy when you learn, right? Yeah. I'm glad I'm here. What the heck? Yeah. So... Right? I thought his name was God. Like God's name is God. That's why when Moses is like, when we go to, when I go back and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I tell them? He doesn't say, well, tell them I'm God, right? Like he says, I am who I am. I'm just, I am, right? But we don't know if the Jews ever knew the name of God. It's assumed that they did, like at the time of the Old Testament and its events, but it was never professed because this is the reverence they had in in that time it was such a holy name to them they wouldn't even dare to utter that name so the writers of the bible chose not to even write it in fear that they would blemish the name of god yeah so they wrote instead the tetragrammaton yahweh y-h-w-h and then that's why your english bible whenever it says l-o-r-d in capitals that is the tetragrammaton Wow, I didn't mean to do an Old Testament study here, but anyways, yeah. But didn't the prophets uh, declare God's name, though? Oh uh, yeah, so in they themselves could have paused. I think they would have. They had yeah. personal communication. Exactly. So they would have. They would have spoken to God, mm-hmm. but even then, they might not have dared to utter the name of God in front of God. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like, hey, yo, God, like you know, like they're saying His name. I think they would have. But this is the type of reverence we've lost mm. in the Christian faith. For sure. Right? Like, we just throw out Jesus, like, as if... There's no fear. Yeah, there is no reverence. It, uh, it's not even fear. It's just reverence, right? Like, like we wouldn't... Like, when, even when we meet someone of high standard, like, in our society, we always say, Mr. Mr. Pack, Mr. Kim. Like, we have, like, doctors. We respect them by giving them the title doctor because we recognize the amount of study and education they did. Like, we do all these things in, like, to ourselves. When it comes to God, it's just, yeah, God, like, whatever. Like, right? It's this incredible reverence that we've lost, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Jews had that reverence. Mm-hmm. And why am I even talking about this? Why did this come up? <laughs> Anyways, that's, yeah. I don't know why it came up. Actually, I lost my tra- train of thought. Anyways, <laughs> so it's time of Passover, right? And Jesus is there uh, and he's doing this thing. The court of the Gentiles. Okay. What are the court of the Gentiles? So what we know is that even though the Jewish faith was and the covenant people were, you know, Abraham's son is Jewish people, 
the faith itself was open to Gentiles. So contrary to popular belief, right, there were non-full-blooded uh, Jews who were practicing the Jewish faith. Okay? We know this. This is, like, for sure. We see this in the Old Testament, like, uh, in the story of Ruth, right? Ruth was a non-Jew who practiced Jewish faith, um, etc., right? So there were definitely non-Jews who were coming to the temple for sacrifices, right? Um, but much like Korea, when we first opened our doors to immigrants and, you know, internationals coming to our country, uh, how do we treat them? Racism. Perfect. So this is the perfect opportunity for what? Look at these, look at these people who don't know the Jew. Like, they think they know the Jewish faith. Here they come to the temple to give their sacrifices during the Passover. What do you do? Discriminate. Tax them. Take their money. Oh. So here's what they do. They come to the Gentile courts. And all of these merchants and money changers and people who are selling and, and all these things, they're in the Gentile courts and they're selling to the Gentiles and they're going, hey, hey, you need a bird for this. You need a sheep for this. You need a this for this. Like, this is what you need. And they don't charge him like, you know, fair market value. This is like StockX prices, right? The prices are like double, triple, whatever. Why? They sell it because they take that money. They make profit. But then they give a piece of that to the priests as an offering. So why do the priests allow it? Because they're getting money. Because they're getting money. Again, all of this we just know from like historical texts that identify some of the things that were going on. Like the mischievous practices of the Levitical priests and the high priests of Israel. So they're taking advantage of non-Jews because we know they were very discriminatory of like non-Jewish people and non-full-blooded Jewish people. Even like half-blood Jews are coming, right? And it was probably mostly half-blood Jews that were coming to the Gentile courts. And they're being treated unfairly. Jesus, a full-blooded Jew, goes to the Gentile court. That in and of itself is already extraordinary. Gentile means non-Jew, right? Non-Jew. Non-fully Jew. He goes in and he is furious. So when he says, you've turned my father's house into a business right this is a place of worship this is where the gentiles would come to pray this is one little sliver around the central court this is where they would come to pray to yahweh to repent of their sin to give their sacrifices to lift up you know their worship and they've completely changed it into this market right and jesus is infuriated not only is it like a market it's a complete it's just a it's a full-blooded black market business right mm-hmm. so jesus infuriated starts whipping and flipping tables it's like this is disgusting right other other gospels indicate that he called them like you are you you've turned this into a den of robbers so he calls them thieves right you are stealing from these people right you're taking advantage of people that you know you can take advantage of and this is wrong mm-hmm. right and so he attacks this issue and he changes it. What does that tell us theologically, though, about the work of Christ? So you know it's Passover. It's Gentile court. It's Gentiles who are being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. He's whipping out Jewish money changers. What is he indicating about his ministry and what it will accomplish? There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Yeah, can you imagine Paul, the apostle, later reading this? Like Paul later, who, not reading John, but like receiving this account, 
right? You remember Paul, like, in Acts, when he goes to Peter and he's like, man, you're such a hypocrite. Like, oh, yeah. you, you eat with the Gentiles when they're here and the Jewish company comes and then you, you get up and you sit with the Jews and you completely disregard the Gentiles, right? Like, and Paul's the one who, who pens, right? Um, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all one in Christ, right? So this is, like, one of the accomplishments, uh, like, the fulfillment uh, or the fulfilled work of Christ on the cross is to help us recognize that salvation is for all, Sheesh. for all people, right? And so this is incredible, um, this scene, when we understand its historical and detailed, uh, or the details of the historical record of it, right? So he goes in. Let's go back to the Bible. Uh, Passover, it's near Getting, becoming a very like important spiritual time and season in the Jewish calendar goes into the temple and he finds these people selling oxen, sheep and doves the money changers and they're taxing these people he just starts make, he makes a scourge or like a whip cords he drives them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen now let me ask you in verse 15 what does he say here? he what's the verb that your translation uses in regards to he Something out the coins of the money and changers. Port. Scattered. Scattered. Scrooge. Sorry? Scourge. Scourge? Yes. That's that's what he made. Oh. Right? But he... What did he do with the coins of the money changers? Poured out. He poured it out. Overturned. Uh-huh. What did we just... Uh, what did we just see in the first miracle of Christ? Uh, water into wine. Right. So he took something mm. old, mm. not good, mm. made it new as it was poured out. Mm. Right? He poured they poured out the water into uh, or they poured water into the jars and they, it became wine, right? So there is this connective language that John is using in terms of verbs. And he's remember I told you he purposely puts the cleansing of the temple after the wedding in Cana, the first miracle because they're connecting ideas, right? He was in the wedding in Cana, taking the water of the purification jars, turning it into wine, a sign of God's blessing has come, right? And then in this cleansing of the temple, just like the first miracle indicated, the function of this temple has come and ceased. With me it ends. My work will accomplish what this temple cannot do eternally. Mm. Right? The true temple, his body, will accomplish everything this temple hopes to accomplish. But it cannot. Everything this old wine could not do, it has run out. The old wine has run out. The good wine has come. Do you see how the imagery is connected? Like John is connecting these two things. on. Per He's putting them side by side to help you see. One... His death, second, his resurrection, will accomplish eternally what this temple can never, could never have done. So here's a crazy thing. Jesus said um, that this temple will, uh, if you read like uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's recorded to us that Jesus talks in regards to the temple, that this temple will fall. It will, it will cease this generation um, future generation like after this generation no generation will seek this temple like I'm paraphrasing here 
but the temple's time has come to an end, right? And he says, he gives it a generation. Biblically, how long is a generation? Long? It's not as long as you think. How long did the Israelites wander in the desert? Because they had to wander until that generation died out. 40 years. 40 years. So one generation in scripture is 40 years. Okay. Jesus dies roughly, crucifixion, roughly 30 to 32 AD, right? Roughly around there. The temple falls 70 to 72 AD, like 70 AD is like more accurate. So almost perfectly 40 years after his death, the actual temple is destroyed by the Romans because they're like, yo, screw this. this. Like these Jews are getting like really annoying. So they, the Jewish people actually tried to like conquer Jerusalem again, like take it back. And the Romans were like, are you kidding me? Like, we are the freaking Roman Empire. Like, we're going to destroy you. So they destroy everything. And they completely just, like, just leave the temple in ruins. Like, destroy every bit of it. Like, they take everything. It's gone. To this day, that temple has not been reconstructed since that day. What have the Jews been doing? Good question. Because there is no temple, they cannot sac- make sacrifices. So a very valid question from a lot of Christians is, well, how come the Jews don't sacrifice today? It's, it's Old Testament law. They cannot. The temple was required for them to do the sacrifices. Yes, yeah, so like why didn't they rebuild it? Can't they can't. Like- There's a mosque. There's a really, really, really prominent... Uh, it's one of the top three or four important mosques in the world, uh, religiously to the Muslims. It's the Palestinian mosque that sits on top of Mount Jerusalem. You've probably seen it. It's, like a gold, it's called the Golden Goose Egg. Um, it's, it's like a golden head. Uh, this mosque, if it was destroyed, would cause World War III. Yeah. So back then when the Roman Empire destroyed it, yep. um, why didn't like right away the Jews just rebuild it? Do you want this circle lesson? I can do it in like two minutes. Yes. Okay. Romans destroyed it. The Jews were uh, pretty much like banished and dispersed. They had to run away. Uh, this is why we get in the count of Acts, why they lived in like caves and they ran away and blah, blah, blah. Uh, they dispersed. The Roman Empire was furious with them. Um, after the Roman Empire um, had taken over Jerusalem, you then had the Ottoman Empire come in. The Ottoman Empire uh, paired up with the Islamic army. They conquered Jerusalem and made it an Islamic state. Jerusalem was an Islamic state, but then Christianity had moved west and grew in Europe. And at that point, kings and leaders and the Pope and all these things were starting to establish. And so then the Catholics were like, yo, crusade time. So they crusade over to Jerusalem. They actually win, take over the uh, Jerusalem again, try to make it a Christian state. But then they get conquered. Then they conquer. There's three crusades or two crusades. Conquer, 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 conquer. Ends up being uh, basically... Uh, at that point just in ruins like it's just everything's ruined the jewish people have no like governance over this property at this point israel is no longer a nation there is no state uh decades and decades and years passed uh i mean of course like this land eventually becomes property of uh palestine um, which is remnants of the ottoman empire uh palestine builds a mosque on this mountain to commemorate so jerusalem fate like jerusalem is actually a really important city in islam uh, it's a religious holy city. It's not the holy city, but it is a religious city. Um, and so when they come in, they build this mosque. That mosque has been standing since. If that mosque was ever destroyed, it would cause, like, literally nuclear war. Mm. Yeah. So lame. Yeah. So that's historically what has happened. What's interesting is the Israeli... Israeli the Israeli... The nation of Israel, as you know it today, is not as old as you think. Like... 
I think I was alive when Israel became a country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I think it was in the nineties. Like the whole thing, the thing that's happening, actually, that did, actually I don't know if it's still happening. That between Israel and pa- Palestine. Oh. So Palestine originally inhabited the state. Um, that's a like that Middle Eastern part of the world is heavily Islamic, right? Mm-hmm. So every surrounding country Islamic, right? Jordan. Um, the other all the surrounding countries. Anyways, um, they're all they're all, oh, Lebanon, right? So they're all surrounding. Uh, all the surrounding countries are Islamic states, and they all despise the Jews. Why? Because Palestine controlled the state, but basically Israel, like uh, as a people group, decided like, no, this is the promised land, and we want land. So the Westerners, who are all the world powers, the United States, uh, Europe, other parts of the world, because they're Christian wanted to support the establishment of an Israeli state, right? So in the 90s, I think it was 90s, uh, Israel was reestablished as a country recognized by the United Nations uh, at the defiance of the Islamic countries as prominently the Palestines. The Palestinians were so infuriated because they were people who lost their country essentially, right? Like, we're not doing anything bad. Why are these people coming in and just tanking over our cities and blah, 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 right? It's more complicated than that. No one is actually like... I'm not saying like one is bad and the other is good. Just that's what happened, okay? Mm -hmm. So it looks like optically this powerful Western country uh, supported by the U.S. Army is coming in and basically overtaking. And then here you have Palestinians getting bullied and they're like, ooh, and they have to like get away. But they're allowed to keep Mount Jerusalem because this mosque basically is like one of the holiest mosques in all of Islam. Uh, United States recognizes if we destroy this, if we harm this, this is like literally gg syria is like boom nukes like all over united america like it's over right so can't risk that because innocent lives obviously um and that's the tension that exists today Mm. politically i'm really really some like dumbing this down so like do more research because it's a lot more complicated than this but like that's essentially what's going on yeah so that is actually that geographical location where that that's where jesus is and he's flipping tables right and He's there, he's doing these things, and what happens? He overturns the tables, those who are selling doves, he said, take these things away. You would think Jesus, who is second person of Trinity, would be like, bring me offerings, right? Like, bring me offerings that are good to the Lord. Clearly, uh, this was not good, right? In the eyes of a divine being, right? Father's house is a place of business. That's not what God's house is meant to be. His disciples remember that it was written zeal for your house will consume me right so what do, what do those words mean what does that indicate the temple had become what to the people Corey says this a lot sometimes church is not a oh uh church is not a building it's the people <laughs> it's right a... it's the covenant people of god right who are um like we our building is irrelevant we don't worship the building itself i was telling you like jokingly on like um like when i visited like damascus and seeing like that old man just like literally kissing the walls of the mosque it was so sad it's just so i actually took a photo of that just to (laughs) just to remember how sad this was he was like crying like weeping and kissing the door of this mosque thinking that there is some kind of salvation in that right and it like broke my heart because he lived his whole life thinking this is going to be like this this kind of idolatry is going to lead to something right i don't speak arabic so i couldn't go and be like hey you know like this store doesn't have salvation (laughs) like 
let me lead you to the door that does right like um but like it's it's i just couldn't right and here are these people zeal for your house will consume me right um what do you think those words mean from the psalms you're reading the psalms what does it mean Because they must have remembered this text for a reason, right? I think it's a good thing that you know what they're saying, though, right? Because zeal is a good thing. Zeal is typically associated with good thing, depending on what you remember, have zeal for. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Zeal for your house. Like zeal for your house. Like so. there could be zeal for bad things. <laughs> I'm, I know that, like, in the New Testament, they mention, like, zeal and fervor together, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Has anything to do with this? Like, um, I mean, zeal is just... I, a, I forgot which one it is, but it's passion? Is yeah, that, zeal is, is synonymous with the term passion. Right. Right. So passion for your house will consume. My translation, if it helps anyone. Says, yes. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more complicated. Yeah, it really helps. <laughs> I'll translate that now. Yeah, we gotta translate that now. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to untranslate it. Um, so house is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Ladies first. <laughs> I was just gonna say, is it to indicate that... You know how you said that we don't really see Jesus having such intense or strong emotions for anything? But it sounds like it's coming from zeal for God's... Mm. This is why he's having this kind of reaction. Okay, but remember, it's coming off the heels of Jesus saying, stop making my father's house a place of business. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think the connective word here is house. Mm-hmm. Right? Like clearly those two words are connected in what the disciples remembered and that, right? Um, but in context of that psalm, um, what, is it, what do you think that psalm is to saying? Let's turn to that psalm. What's the psalm? 69. Psalm 69. Verse 9. Verse 9. Psalm 69, verse 9. Okay. So my my Bible reads that this this psalm is a cry of distress and imprecation on adversaries. Right? So it's against adversaries. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I've sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who destroy me are powerful being, uh, wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. Oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed. Through me, O Lord, God of hosts, may those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's son. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Interesting. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Said by David. Yes. Right? And then basically, it's saying that what he's kind of saying is he's being like kind of mocked mm-hmm. for 
adoring Christ or being zeal for like God's house. Yes. Um, and then you see this parallel or description of being consumed by zeal for God's house applied to Jesus. Um, yes. In John two, um, and you see how zeal, Jesus proves how zealous he is for the temple of the Lord mm-hmm. for his actions mm-hmm. um, by wanting to change it and. Uh, despite how much people around him don't like it, right? Like you said, it's like mm. an extremely pressing time for them, right? Yes. It's like a loving time for yes. like the things that yes. they're doing. But what Jesus is doing is extremely uncomfortable, like uncomfortable, and yet he's showing more zeal for Christ. And mm. so, but to them, they're like looking at this like negatively, right? Just as people would mock and look at David's love for Christ negatively, or zeal for mm. Christ negatively. And then and then, like, one extra other point is um, this ties to the conversation we had with uh, Davidic Covenant mm-hmm. about how Jesus is still kind of um, one of, like, down the generation of David. Yes. Um, and it says, where is it? Oh, yes, this is simply one more. It's a lot of evidence that Jesus really is the rightful heir of David, David's greater son. Mm-hmm. Um, because Jesus's Zeus actions were rejected, rejected by his countrymen, as David was mm-hmm. also rejected. Um, and interesting. Interesting. Yes, I think you got, you made a couple good points there. So, um, let me give you an interpretation because we're short, running short on time here. Uh, let me give you an interpretation. You tell me what you think. I think it might mean this: that Jesus is saying, "Look, like those who have zeal." like love and passion for the Lord and for the things of the Lord and for the sake of the Lord will be consumed by those who recur- like who have dishonor of the Lord. Consumed as in... Not actually eaten, yeah, but yeah, consumed yeah, yeah, yeah. in the sense, in the context of the psalm, David is saying, I'm trying to do all these righteous things amidst wicked people, and these people reproach me. They hate me, they hate onto me, they are against me, and I am these things right here these people are dishonoring the house of god by selling and all these things and jesus is trying to cleanse it to make it good and clean again and in that what he is he will what the disciples found uh as a connective thing because i think later disciples will face this too right is those who are zealous for the lord will be reproached they will be consumed by the world around them Right. What do you think about that interpretation? What do you think about that idea? So, like, literally, how I took it at first mm-hmm. is that zeal itself will consume him, and mm. meaning like the unquenchable like passion mm-hmm. for the holiness of God and like what He has given in giving them the temple, um, like keeping that holy and recognizing mm-hmm. God's grace in that. Mm-hmm. Um, consumes him yes but according to the interpretation that you said yeah I think makes more sense in that that is what causes by God's providence yes um, Jesus's death yes that um, yes because of thank you his zeal yes his enemies Because what follows in verse 19? 
After they asked him, after disciples remembered that in verse 17, the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? What's his answer? Destroy this temple. Yeah. Destroy the temple. Just stop there. Like, consume me. In three days, it'll raise up again. So I think there's a connective wording there, right? What's interesting here is um, in verse 18, the response from the Jews. What is it that they seek? Uh sign right where did we see this before chapter one what did we see in the questioning of john the baptist do you guys remember sorry in chapter one we saw this seeking of evidence and sign before authority like with what authority do you baptize right and give us the sign right so when Jesus claimed, stop making my father's house a place of business, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? For like ruining, like, like what are the signs that you have, right? What's his sign? What's his answer to them? Destroy this temple. Yeah. So what do we know? Connect it all. So think about it. The Jews are like, they're going about their business. Jesus walks in and he's like, whoosh, boom, table flip. And then they're like, yo, what the heck? <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? Like, what authority? And give, like, like, show us something that you have the authority to do this. And give us your, you know, if you're a police officer, show me your badge, right? Like, what is this, right? And Jesus like, destroy this temple. Kill me. Like, yeah. And it will be raised up in three days. What is the sign of authority that they will be shown? His crucifixion. His crucifixion and his resurrection. Right? But they don't know that. What are they thinking when he says that? They're like, what? <laughs> right? Wait, what? You want us to destroy this whole building? You know how long it took us to build this thing? You know Nehemiah wanted us to build this thing like so badly, man? Like, do you not read the Bible? <laughs> like, are you kidding me right now? And then he has the audacity to say what? It will Jesus? be what? It will raise up in what? Three days. In three days? No, what? <laughs> like, three days? Are you kidding me right now? Three days? It took us like so long to build this thing with like all of Israel working on it, right? Like you cannot be for real right now. What do you mean destroy it? What do you mean it will be raised up? Right? So in the moment they're thinking something completely else. Like something. when you read it, you're thinking something else too, right? So in verse 20, the Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. <laughs> and will you raise it up in three days? So they're talking on literal terms, right? 21. And this is the commentary of John and disciples. He was speaking on the temple of his body. Right? So they were talking about, and what Jesus was talking about was completely different things. Mm -hmm. Verse 22, so when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. What did he say? Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus spoke. Of course, we know the focus of the word in the Gospel of John. Richard so plainly articulated to us in his sermon, right? The word became flesh. The word is a really important thing, right? So Jesus' connection to scripture and the word is critical all throughout the Gospel of John.
right? We talked about this multiple times. Um, verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, so there's that important time marker. So Passover has now come. All of this happened right before the Passover. Now we're at the Passover. During the feast, the feast of the Passover, of course, Passover Seder, as I mentioned, many believed in his name, observing his signs. Again, many believing in his name is something that like, theologians and scholars continue to argue and debate as to what that means is it like saving faith or is it like some other like just a general faith in this person as a trustworthy person uh observing his signs so there's that language again his signs which he was doing we don't know what those signs are judge doesn't record for us but jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them it's really interesting okay so although they believed in his name observing his signs and all the things that he was doing on his part, he was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is very interesting, this last part. It's going to connect beautifully, and I think obviously, into chapter 3. And chapter 3 is the famous conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus on being born again bless you pause this is the end of today questions and thoughts is it not evident that their faith in jesus was not yes because they kill him yes but these people did they kill him probably not but like the question of the crowds that follow jesus that listen to jesus mm -hmm. that had a sense of faith in him mm -hmm. as something important and something good mm -hmm. uh, scholars and theologians debate whether when scripture talks about their faith whether it's talking about saving faith or not i think it's evident that it's not talking about saving faith mm -hmm. but just want to be fair to all scholars and say it is debated right yeah um i'm confused with the language of uh being consumed by um yeah. People. So, like, what, like, what does that mean? Like, well, we see it in Psalms. In the Psalm sixty-nine, we see that David is talking about how he is hated for his zeal for the God's house. So that's being consumed. Like, I hated? think that's what it's talking about. It can mean what another interpretation is. What one of the other interpretations? What Anjou uh, was talking about, where Jesus is like the zeal itself consumes you. Like the zeal for God's house yeah. consumes my heart, and that's what Jesus had. That he had zeal that was consuming his heart yeah. thrusting him to do these things mm -hmm. right uh, but in the context of the psalm mm -hmm. and in connection to his crucifixion and resurrection which he is explicitly i think mentioning here because mm -hmm. the very next thing he says is destroy this temple mm -hmm. i think it's talking more so, and john inserts verse 17 there on purpose he doesn't like just go oh shoot i remember like we remember that verse and then he's right i think he's seeing all of these connecting ideas he puts it there and then his next words are destroy the temple. I think it's because the consumption word or the consuming word is about us, our zeal, uh, Christ or anyone else who is a follower of Christ. Our zeal for God and his holiness and a reverence for his name is following all these things will lead to our consumption. And of course, the disciples would know that best for they are all martyred for, his, for their faith. Will lead us to our consumption. In a sense, right? Like, your Bible says that they will be eaten up. It's weird to say that your zeal eats you up, mm -hmm. right? I'm confused how those are different. I'm like, I'm like... Oh, okay. So, Eunjong is saying, zeal itself overwhelms me. 
Like, I am overwhelmed oh. by zeal, and I am abundant in it. Okay. I am saying that the already abundant zeal within me leads to a hatred against me. Mm-hmm. By oh. those who do okay. not have that zeal. Okay, okay. Right? And in this case, Jesus walks into the temple. Supposedly, people who are supposed to be covenant people are essentially working against the Father's house. Mm-hmm. And here comes Christ they're going to think Jesus is working against the Father's house because he's disturbing. Mm. He's a disturbance to this peace and this business, right? He comes in, he disturbs, and they will consume him. That's why his next words, I think, are destroy this time. Truth divides. So there is, like, I want to give a fair, like, play. There's potentially two, three, four ways of looking at this. I'm just giving my personal opinion on this one. Questions, thoughts about the text before we wrap up in prayer. I'd love to have like two, three people maybe share a thought or two that they uh, gained insight that was helpful. Maybe you're still thinking about the Tetragrammaton. Uh, (laughs) What? We don't know God's name. Um, (laughs) Um... Anything maybe that needs clarification still, you can ask that as well. Well, I just thought it was like really like crazy or like cool how John connects those two stories um, mm. of like just like the whole like general idea of like yeah like this is something that we have that's like whatever and it like ran out and then Jesus comes provides that mm-hmm. will like last forever and it was like poured out and then the exact same. Like, yes. so many parallels to the next word. Like, it's completely different, but, like, yes. the exact same. The same Jars thing. of purification turning into good wine, that is better. Mm-hmm. Temple of purification, a better temple, mm-hmm. the good temple mm-hmm. that will provide forever. Mm-hmm. It's two connecting ideas. Yeah. Like, the theme of, like, pouring out. Like, yes. Crazy. Of course, that even, we can, we can follow that to its natural conclusion, too, right? Yeah. What would be what? The pouring of Christ's blood. blood. which also just happens to be symbolically represented through the pouring of wine, right? So just all this, like, really cool stuff that's Anyone else? The Rebeccas are in deep thought. (laughs) (laughs) It's like how Jesus' anger is described where what we... Um, like the picture of it is very I think limited mm. that like we only know like the anger that we see in ourselves or in people around us that like I don't know if the picture that I have in my head of like you know this anger that Jesus has is a correct one mm. Mm. Um, and like we I think it was something that Sasha said um, that like triggered a thought I forget what she said but like I think other than like when Jesus wept or like when he was praying on Mount Gethsemane or when he's angry here we think like Jesus is pretty unbothered by everything and like you know keeping his cool kind of thing but like 
that triggered a thought in terms of like was he like how mm. yeah I, that just that's very important because in the language of john's gospel we don't get the language of like he is infuriated and he is just on a rampage right that's a general image we have of the scene itself it might help you if you quickly turn to mark um the second gospel uh at the end of mark i believe it's mark uh Part of name, five thousand fed. Ten is it? Young rich rulers suffering foretold triumphal entry. Okay, Mark eleven fifteen. Then they came to Jerusalem and entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturn the tables of money or changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, It is not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations. So indicating again, he's in the house court of the, or the court of the Gentiles. But you have made it robbers of den, or robbers den. Uh, the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. So there's that destroy him language. But they were afraid of him for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. So again, like even in other depictions of this scene, we don't get like Jesus is like, raging bull in a china shop right i think that's a very like sort of comical or like animated uh image we tend to have because we've been told so so many times that when jesus cleansed the temple he is just like you know putting on like a hissy fit right but um it could have been it might not have been but i think it was definitely uh a unique instance in Jesus's ministry in which he displayed uh, he acted upon something that very emphatically and I don't think it's coincidence that it's on the Passover at the temple to mark his triumphal entry to well in the case of Mark, Mark in this case it's not to mark his triumphal entry I think it's very very important we recognize that any other thoughts before we conclude i think adding to that yes like um we talked about how we lack in reverence but if anything like jesus's response to what was going on is normal meaning like everyone else was ignorant yes of like what defilement it was as well as the good that was being defiled and i think that might also be true in like us today oh yeah absolutely if there's a lesson that is can be drawn out is that we are as prone to be blind to our internal sins within our community of faith and in our own faith practice right? uh, to practices that are defilements of god that we don't understand fully that it is a defilement against god rubanka <laughs> you haven't spoken for an hour and a half I think it's time for you to say something <laughs> I mean like mine was like kind of trying to what Brother Rebecca had to say but like the idea of like what was God like I know he was angry at the fact that they were doing the selling at the temple yep. but would he have been the same like that showed that same anger if it was outside of the temple oh sorry outside, outside the, te- of the temple 
Good question. Like, I, Good I question. can see that the anger is both in the people uh, who yes, did it, and yes. then also the act that it was in the temple. Yeah. But like, yeah. Would it have mattered if it was outside the temple courts? Yeah. Good question. Good thought. Would it be like more so the intent mm. rather than have it? Yeah. Right. So I, I feel think, like if it's like out, done outside the temple, but the intention is still there. Yeah. I feel like that's still bad. Yeah, it's still bad. I don't think it like changes the fact that what they were doing was not just a sin, but it was like probably a legal crime. Um, right? It's literally like a money laundering at this point, right? Um, but like the practice itself being done in the house just made it more emphatically like. Um, but I think it teaches the the proneness that um, God's people have in allowing sin to enter our courts, if you will, and allowing it to uh, prosper, right? So I told you earlier, like, in our study, Jesus, when he enters the, in Mark, the first miracle of Mark is he enters Capernaum, he enters the synagogue. The first person that recognizes Jesus as the Son of God is a demon. The demon is amongst believers in the synagogue. So it just goes to show, like, here are all these religious folks in the synagogue, and they are completely blind to two things, the presence of a demon and the presence of the Christ. <laughs> like, can you imagine? And I don't think our churches are not, are like, like we're not, like, as if we're like, it is impossible for us to be blind to that as well, right? That our churches can both have Christ and us be blind to it, have demonic forces at work and still be blind to it that is scary but what what that passage teaches you is when you even the demon recognizes christ so when you recognize christ what will you automatically re- recognize the demonic forces at play in the community so i think it's very important we understand these things right so the fact that this is happening in the temple is very important at the passage great so uh with all of that said let's pray and let's wrap up um anyone have a prayer topic yeah, i've never asked this before anyone have something that they need prayer for pressing on their heart if you do if not i'll just generally pray for us but actually Corey, can you pray for us okay but like after hearing them. okay <laughs> if anyone does have like something yeah i actually do um let's do it to not rely i think i struggle a lot with not relying so much on for example like you or just like the church in general to like answer so many of my questions Mm. i think it's also like a lot of it is also because a lot of my questions are very like technical questions that can just be answered yeah but um i just don't put enough effort into like trying to find the answers myself or like Mm. even like asking god about them um so like just like taking more ownership of like my faith and like not making it like dependent on like what other right. people tell me. Do you think it's like rooted in like just laziness or do you think it's rooted in like apathy or probably laziness? laziness. But also like I think because like yeah like I'll, since a lot of my I think a lot of it is also because a lot of my questions are like can get God like if I ask yeah. like, well, like what's the age difference between JV and Jesus? Yeah. Like if God would really answer that, but like oh I unless see. Unless I, I just see. search it up. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yes. 
Um, yeah, for me, I think it would just be as the overarching theme, forgiveness. So tomorrow, I'm actually meeting up with uh, a guy I know, mm-hmm. and I would say out of everyone in my life, I despise him the most. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, like to a very deep level. Okay. Um, I'm glad I'm. We're not yeah. there. Yeah, like, um, we're not on the low lowest you, you end of that. that. Yes. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's like true. The, I think one of the few people that's like, I think affected a lot for me. Okay. In my life, um, but recently, I wanted to, you know, I had a heart of kind of like change, right? Mm. I think also like kind of like Corey's, um, hey. talk. You know, after the AG softball game, also helped God. as well. Mm. Um, so I reached out to him because mm. um, technically we're not on bad terms, right? Um, but yeah, we're like grabbing lunch tomorrow. Nice. We're talk and nice, yeah, I've been nice. praying a lot about it, right? Because I feel like if I can properly like forgive him, right? Yeah. I think a whole lot more in my life will like, come out of it. For sure. Um, because I think it's almost like a thing that holds me in a, a way against a lot of people, right? It's, mm. I can't break this. It's like break a lot of things yeah. even the smallest of things yeah um but obviously i want to let so much of that go right properly forgive um christ forgives me and so um, however that goes right pray that you know, god reigns over that conversation nice nice awesome. i have a question for you so we can pray for about pray about it how's campus prep going Last person you should ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have our like case three. Like I know our staff, but yeah. And my guys is reach out to me. Wait, what's your position? Just uh, seventeen. Oh okay. I don't even know if I got even accepted. <laughs> but literally, oh, I know every other university has like their yeah, yeah. going, but Ryerson. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like lagging, lagging behind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Toronto Metropolitan. Rebecca is serving on campus. Mm-hmm. I think for the first time um, this year, this coming year, right? And we, a lot of us have been there, right? Serving wow. on campus in a ministry. So we know what that entails. Oh, yeah. So I think lifting up a prayer for Rebecca would be fantastic. Sorry, so you're, you're serving at Ryerson this upcoming school year? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome. Which is awesome. Yeah, praise God. So Jet, reconciliation with friend tomorrow. Yep. Aria learns how to google <laughs> yeah <What>? and <laughs> her laziness to not google oh. age difference between john the baptist and jesus um <laughs> and rebecca or yeah rebecca with her campus stuff cool. all right pray for us Corey. all right pray with me <clears throat> uh to our heavenly father we just thank you so much for this uh time of fellowship lord um, even when uh, uh, those who have been redeemed by your blood come together, yet Christ has not preached, that is no true fellowship. So, Lord, we thank you so much for the uh, further teaching and understanding of your truth, Lord, uh, that you've prepared through Max's uh, heart. Just thank you so much that we have a, uh, a pastor and a shepherd who truly cares about our sanctification. Um, and I pray that you continue to uh, bless him and to uh, solidify his knowledge 
uh, in the truth, Lord, um, for his own life and for the flock, uh, for your glory alone. And um, thank you so much for what you've learned today, Lord. Um, so much uh, rich uh, theologies of, of your nature, Lord, um, that has uh, perhaps driven us to uh, rejoice or repent. Um, I pray that uh, your word and your truth will continue to transform us, that we will not just come collectively uh, to uh, be fed, but Lord, I pray in our own time with you individually um, that uh, we would take the initiative, that you would give us the heart um, uh, by the Spirit uh, to desire to know you more and to be proactive in that, Lord. Uh, uh, would you also give us a zeal uh, for... Um, um, our love for you and for others, Lord, for the lost. And uh, I pray that, um, pray for Jed that uh, you would that, thank you for uh, giving him uh, the heart to want to reconcile with uh, someone he considers an enemy, Lord. This is just a beautiful, uh, another beautiful testimony of, of what you have done for us, Lord. And I pray that when he meets this individual, that um, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, um, reign over their conversations and that uh, they would uh, be able to reconcile, Lord. Um, uh, thank you for the work that you're doing in his heart, and I pray that you just continue to uh, strengthen his faith. So pray for Rebecca as she is uh, uh, going to serve in uh, Ryerson campus, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, it's an amazing opportunity and privilege, Lord, to, to labor for you. Um, and uh, I just pray that you would uh, equip her and to uh, uh, surround herself in a uh, community that uh, prays for her and looks out for her best interests, Lord. And I pray uh, during that time, through the highs and lows, that you would continue to grow for her, uh, grow her faith. Um, and I pray that she would not uh, doubt and waver uh, when things get tough, Lord. We know that ministry is uh, extremely, extremely difficult, but we know the, the rewards that uh, we uh, reap from it, Lord. Um, at the end of the day, it's all for your glory alone, and I pray that would be enough motivation for her to continue to serve faithfully uh, in wherever you uh, place her. I pray for Aria, too, uh, to uh, continue to give her desire and uh, to, to, to give her uh, diligence to uh, seek after you, Lord, and I pray that uh, there be no uh, shortcuts, but, you know, you said that the the many go through the wide gate because it's easy and convenient, but Lord, only few enter the narrow path. So Lord, I pray that Aria would just be another uh, sister in the faith that would uh, have a desire to go through the, the narrow path, Lord. Um, and I pray that for all of us today uh, as we uh, go, from the, uh, go from here, Lord, the house of the Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just uh, continue to guide us uh, as we are being sanctified and to conform more to Christ and less like the world. So, Lord, thank you so much. Uh, we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.